The last few weeks, we've been walking through something, um, kind of describing the church in its key forms. And we really did kind of a basic three pieces to this. And it fits our values of, of um, transformation, community, and mission. And we, we talk, described the church as community, as love. We described it as soil for formation or transformation. Uh, last week, we described the church as mission. And we were reminded that we are part of God's plan. Like God uses us. We said last week, God's mission has a, has a church. We, as a church, don't have an exclusive mission. God's mission has a church. So we talked last week how we're part of God's plan to rescue humanity from a life that is devoid of him. And God wants to use us in that. And, um, but I want to ask the question this week as we wrap up this series and maybe play off of last week a little bit is, how, how do we go about doing that? Like, it's great to know that we get to be partners in the gospel. The scriptures talk about that. It's great to know that God's mission has a church and we get to be part of it, that God uses us as instruments to bless the world and love the world and share the message of Christ around. How do we go about doing that? Because, I mean, I know and I believe in my heart that there's a majority of us that call Westside home that love God and follow Jesus and know deeply in our hearts that true life is found in him. And I see that in some of our teenagers. I see that in adults. I see that in young moms. I see that in single parents. I see that in business leaders and electricians and all kinds of different people. I don't know why I throw electricians in there, but all kinds of people. Um, Everybody needs a good electrician, right? Um, and, and really the question is, you know, how can we, how can we in everyday life see the fruit of mission? And last week we were in the book of Colossians uh, with just a couple of verses. And I want to go back to that, that chapter, actually, Colossians chapter 4. And, um, and because Paul, as he writes this letter to this first century church in a, in a town called Colossae, um, he, he really takes just a few sentences in his letter to equip them for mission, to equip them for the opportunities they'll have around them to be a blessing to the world and to be part of God's mission. And so I, I want to read that, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 to 6. And uh, it's kind of, kind of, there's going to be these three categories today, this idea of prayer and this idea of what it means to be partners and then our postures uh, in this. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 2, and um, we're going to read this together if you don't have your Bible, no problem, just read off the screen, and eventually we'll get a screen on this side, but um, for now, just look that way if you need to, okay? So Colossians chapter 4, here we go. Devote yourselves to prayer, be watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it Clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. And let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful to already, just in our gathering, to worship you and celebrate who you are. And Even moments where we pause and and grieve the things around our world, God, we do that as a community. Um, And God, even as we engage this text today, just grow in us, God, a heart for for our world. Even this week, there's just the the ceremonial remembrance of World War I, God, 100 years ago. 
And uh, Lord, we long for a world without war. And yet so many uh, have sacrificed in so many ways. And yet the call in our hearts is that we want to see your grace and your love and your kingdom penetrate our world in such a way that weapons would be turned into gardening tools. So even as we engage this text, God, just equip us, equip our hearts, do more than I can even do on my own um, for how you want to speak to us today. We think of our Alpha team on a retreat today too, Lord. Would you bless them and reveal your heart to them? Um, In Christ's name we pray, amen. Such a cool little few verses at the end of Colossians. You know, the the core idea that Paul has here as he he wraps up this letter to this local church is this just what it means to effectively communicate the gospel and living this, really living a life, not just talking, but living a life that engages people around us in a way that paves the way for the gospel's impact. Living a life that paves the way for, for the gospel's impact. And one of the first things we see and, and understand as we, we, that Paul kind of highlights here, and it's kind of counterintuitive. He doesn't say, go out and speak. He doesn't say, uh, you know, create some kind of attractional thing in your neighborhood or, or in your church. He says, pray. That's the first thing he says. Devote yourselves to prayer. He, it's amazing that for Paul, as he kind of comes to the, the, the back end of this letter, He's showing us that prayer is tightly tied to anyone, to anyone who is used by God to make an impact in their world. That prayer is tightly tied to any of us who make an impact in our world. I'm always amazed at organizations and people that I see as doing effective mission. And I'm, and then I I shouldn't be surprised, but often it surprises me to say like, they say something like, we have 3,000 people praying for our organization. You know, International Justice Mission is an organization that, that, you know, rescues people from corrupt regimes and people that have been sex trafficked and things like that. And I've heard that their annual prayer meeting is one of the best prayer meetings of all Christian organizations on the planet. But their work is rescuing people from horrible situations, but they pray. Eight o'clock in the morning, their staff prays. Eleven o'clock in the morning, their staff prays. Prayer is tightly tied to anyone who God is using in the world to make a difference. And it's not just praying for mission, but it's prayer as this core practice. And Paul, before he even invites us to pray for mission, he just flatly says it, devote yourselves to prayer. Paul's final call to this church is pray, because the heart of our relationship with God is our conversation with God, is our prayers, is our time in prayer with God, speaking and listening reflecting and being in silence, sharing. Before Paul asks for prayer for the mission, he just flat out says, listen, everybody, just get on your knees. That's what he's basically saying. Before he asks for prayer for anything specific or gets into kind of the juice of of the mission, he's like, just get on your knees, just pray. Be a people, a community that's devoted to prayer. And it's one of those things that are really hard, I think, to always... um, stay attentive in our lives because our world is so fast-paced and we have so many things going on and we worry about things and yet that should drive us to prayer anyways. But, you know, our, our abide nights are really not as full as this, I can tell you. Probably fit in the first few chairs on this side. I don't know why, but we want to grow as a community in prayer. We want to we dive deep and say, Lord, help us to be devoted to prayer. Paul points, I'm not going to talk about how we pray and the dynamic of that because Paul actually... Uh, encourages them with two, two actions or attitudes that really fuels our prayer. And, and, and the first one is this. He says, be watchful. 
He says, be devoted to prayer, but then he says, be watchful. And I think partly what he's saying is be on the lookout for what God is doing. Be attentive for what God's doing around you and what's God, what God's doing in you and what God is doing for you. Too often, we just pray for things we want or pray for things we need. And instead, Paul is saying, be aware of what God is doing around you because that will fuel your prayers. Notice when a friend is searching for meaning in the conversations you're having together. Notice when God is, is getting the attention of your kids in some way. Don't just knock it off as, oh, they're kids, or, oh, they're just struggling, wrestling with this. But notice maybe the spiritual battle that's happening even in your own kids' lives. Notice when something is, when God's convicting you about something, that, you know, when there's an unsettling in your heart, is God trying to get your attention? Be watchful. When God's orchestrating a moment around you or with you or through you or with your friends or, or co-workers, or maybe when you hear something God is trying to get your attention about. And Paul says in another, in another letter, I think it's to the Romans, he says that our spirit bears witness to God's spirit. In other words, when we are walking with God and growing in, with God, we will start to discern what God's spirit is actually doing. We will pray along what God's spirit is doing. When we develop the sensitivity to God's spirit, we start to sense what he's up to, and then we jump in. And it could mean any of the things I mentioned or something else. It just depends how God's at work among us. You know, sometimes God wants to get our attention and we miss it. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I was listening to a podcast. Uh, it's a kind of a podcast that interviews uh, leaders and often church leaders. And, and so this guy was interviewing Max Lucado. Some of you might know who Max Lucado is because he's written 30 books in the last 35 years. And, and he's written like in one of his awesome kids' books is um, You Are Special. It's a great book, by the way, if you don't have it. Even if you're 40, read it, or 60. Or, but if you're seven, get, it, get your kid to read it. Or read it for your kid. But here, here's, he has this, he, there's this interview going on, and, and he describes like his life the last 15 years or so, and some of the seasons he's been in, and some of the difficult and up, ups and downs. And he describes particularly this season. He's coming to kind of 65 years old, and he's going to step away from his church ministry and uh, kind of retire from his church ministry and continue his writing. And he had uh, some staff support around him. It's a fairly large church, I think, in, in the Texas area. And um, he describes a season where one of his senior, the senior pastor that was helping really organize everything uh, moved on to another city. And so here he is, like 18 months out before he wants to slowly step away, and he has to jump back into this seat of you know, speaking and teaching and this large staff, and he still loves to write. And uh, the interviewer says to him, you know, how was that for you? He says, it was really tough. He says, I mean, I wasn't doing that for a decade, and I had to jump into it. And he says, well, what did you do? How did you organize your time? And he says, honestly, though, every day I never had enough time to do what I needed to do. And then Max Lucado said this simple thing. The interviewer said, so what did you do? He said, well, I knew I had 18 months. And I said, God, every day I said, Lord, help me get through this. Lord, give me the wisdom, give me the discernment, give me the grace, give me the strength. But he said, basically, in the, most simplest, in the most simplest way, he just came before God and said, God, would you help me every day in this season? And I'm telling you, I mean, I listened to the whole interview, but that line just jumped out at me. God was like, and God was just kind of speaking to me through that line. And it was a moment of being watchful of, what do, what do I need to pray for? And, and I thought, I'm like, have I 
prayed lately, Lord, help me. I mean, we've been in a pretty intense season as a church and getting into this space and things going on and whatever. And I thought, sometimes you can get overwhelmed. And I'm like, have I asked God to really be with me, to really help me? And that line, that was just this attentiveness, that moment is like, Dave, why, aren't, why have you not asked me to help you every day? And it just led me to think about it, reflect, journal it, talk to a few people about it, and said, I'm going to ask God every single day, Lord, help me get through this. It's just a moment of what it means to be watchful, to hear what God wants is doing, and for us to jump in. For me, that was really relevant. But Paul says something else. He says, when you pray, when you seek God, be thankful. And that seems overly simplistic, right? You know, be thankful. But it, it means that as we pray, if we become aware of God's provision and God's presence in our lives, something changes in our relationship with him. Because when we become thankful with the things that God is doing and because of the things God's doing, it changes our relationship. It actually nurtures intimacy in our relationship with God when we start to recognize and remember maybe things we've forgotten or things that we're missing or things that we're blind to. And, and, you know, just a general rule, thankfulness in any relationship always boosts intimacy and always boosts the relationship. There's times where my wife and I might, you know, have a moment of disagreement or maybe we're walking through something difficult or maybe it's just generally, you know, if you're married, there's this, you know, moments where you forget, you know, how important each other are, right? So there's, there's been moments where I've literally had my journal open uh, and I would then write, like, Franca, and I'd start to list things, you know? Um, you know, the way she gets my attention is awesome. She's really beautiful. Um, man, how she connects with people is great. Oh, man, the conversations she can have with the kids always surpass mine. <laughs> and I'm like, how awesome. And I, I start to list these things. And as I list these things in my journal and literally start being thankful for my wife, you know what happens? This appreciation grows, this intimacy grows, this sense of, oh yes, this reminder, this is why, partly why we love one another, right? And, and, and it's so amazing because whenever you stop and be thankful in any relationship, you, you increase intimacy. And maybe you've seen this or some people have taught you to help you to pray and what it means to pray and how you can pray daily. And it's this little acronym called ACTS. And often ACTS is like, you know, when you're praying, you know, consider are you adoring God for one of his attributes? Is there a moment of confession where you come to him and say, hey, Lord, you know, I've really gone off a detour here. Thankfulness and supplication. But here's that third one, thankfulness, that, that in part of how we pray, when we pray, how we connect with God, there's this moment of are we thankful? This daily pause even of thankfulness that fuels our prayer. And I think, th I think this is why Paul says this, because when we are watchful and attentive, when we're thankful and aware, it just it boosts our intimacy with God. It grows our intimacy with him. Because prayer is a relationship. And it's amazing that Paul starts off this way as he's trying to equip this church for mission. It sounds counterintuitive, but this is where he starts. I wrote this line, you can read it on the screen, that intimacy in our relationship with God shapes our conversation with God. Intimacy with, in our relationship with God shapes our conversation with him. If you want to grow in your, how you connect with God, become more aware, become more thankful. These two pieces that Paul says you know, nurtures our relationship. 
But Paul, you know, when he, when he, asks, when he talks about prayer, he talks about something else. He, he, he shifts it a little bit. See, Paul's not a lone ranger. He says specifically, and he's not shy about it, he says, pray for me also. Paul calls them to this core practice of prayer. But then he says, pray for me also. And here's, see, Paul knows something that you and I often forget. Is that prayer is the power of mission. Prayer is the power of mission. Now, Paul at times has asked for prayer for other things. But in this context, he specifically asks prayer for the mission. That they are all on together and his specific role in mission. And Paul gets very specific with his prayer request. He says specifically, pray that there will be an open door for this message that we're sharing. Pray for this. Ask God to open doors. Ask God to open conversation. Ask God to open minds and hearts. An open door for the message. And he's getting very specific. And the reason he says, let's pray for an open door for the message, because his heart, and he says it, is so that he may proclaim the mystery of Christ, the gospel, the beautiful message of salvation, the incredible invitation to the world. And it's like, pray for an open door for this message so that I can proclaim this message. He's talking about him personally right now. His role as an apostle, as an evangelist, as a church planter, his specific role. And then he says this, too. He says, and pray that I communicate the message clearly. Like, I don't want to fall on deaf ears. I don't want to say dumb things. I don't want to talk too long. Although once he preached for like a whole night, and that was kind of, maybe that was probably too long. But, but, um, but he's basically praying, like, when I speak, when I share, when I talk, when I proclaim the gospel, and pray that it's clear. I don't want it to be muddied. I don't want it to be diluted. I don't want it to be blurred. Pray that it's clear. And it's amazing, eh? Because Paul, the great apostle, the astute theologian, depends on the prayers of other people for the mission that God has called them to. I mean, this is a smart guy. This is a guy who had an incredible transformative salvation experience, miraculous one. But even though all this is true about Paul, He depends on the prayers of others for the effectiveness of his part in this mission. He doesn't just depend on himself. He doesn't overly depend on his gifts, on his role, on his passion, on his intellect. He knows that the work that he's doing is dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit in and through him and around him. He knows this. And so he prays specifically. He's like, I can't, this is not going to work if you don't pray for an open door, if you don't pray that for open doors so we can proclaim the message, if you don't pray that it's going to be clear, we need the work of the Holy Spirit to do this. So important. And, and I mean, you know, when, when we think about that, that's so important for us because sometimes we think it's only the action in and of itself that accomplishes something. But we often forget what's behind the action that's so vital, which is God's work. God's presence, God's power, God's spirit, right? So, you know, even today, just jokingly, it was fun. Somebody, um, somebody said to me, and I'm just joking around for the person who told me, don't worry about it. But they had a friend right, uh, with them, and they're like, you know, Dave, it better be an A-plus message today. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to just run in the back and cry. Because I don't know what's an A-plus message. I don't know what, what is God up to. What does this person need? What, where is that intersection of that? I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not God, right? 
But, it, but here's the thing. We often, right, we come to gatherings or we see, uh, you know, we're all, we're all involved in God's work for sure. We're all, you know, the scripture says we're all part of the priesthood of believers. But God also, you know, uses us in different roles. And so I think one of the best things we can do, you know, if that's our desire is like pray. Like I would say, could you pray for me? <laughs> like pray, really pray for me because I, I need that prayer. Like if I'm the one speaking, I just, I need that prayer. And, and I can tell you there's been moments. N.T. Wright said this about, about himself. He says there's moments he's gone to speak and he knows if those people were praying before he got there. And, and for me, that's so vital. Are, you, are, are we praying for the Holy Spirit to be at work in our gatherings? Are we praying for the Holy Spirit to be at work in the, in, in the mission we're a part of and what we're doing? Are we praying for the different people involved in, in our mission, in our church, in our ministry? And honestly, I'd say like, and pray, like this is just for me personally. I'd say, please pray for me. Because there's, there's been moments where I've sensed somebody's come up to me and said, man, the Lord really did something. And I'm like, wow, that was the worst message I've ever preached in my life. And I recognize that the, the Holy Spirit was at work way beyond me. Maybe not the worst, but it was not great. And so, so you know, and I can, there's moments when I can tell you that there's been moments where, I, where we finish a gathering or I'm doing something somewhere, whatever, and I sense, wow, there was, God was really at work in this moment. I've, I sensed him at work way beyond my own me at all. So I invite you to pray for me, for us, for whatever we're involved in for each other. Next week as we launch, pray. Pray for clarity. Pray for open doors to the gospel. Pray for clarity of message. And pray for this, the atmosphere in this space because the Holy Spirit is behind. We need the Holy Spirit to be, be behind our action. We don't want to just throw a party. A lot of people throw parties. We don't have enough money to throw the best party in town. Right? But the Holy Spirit can be at work in a way that, that can really make that party awesome because people will leave touched by God's grace. Right? And then pray, like, you know, we talk about Kids Quest and the mentors. Man, pray for their roles, that, that the gospel would be communicated clearly. Pray for our youth ministry and our group leaders. Pray for the different roles in, in our ministry. And see, Paul's request, he, he's just saying, like, hey, you need to be, prayer needs to be behind this, whatever we do, and it needs to be behind our mission. But he, he goes further, and he talks about, our partnership, because he requests more than just prayer. When he, pray, when he says, pray for me, what he's doing is he's acknowledging that they're in a partnership together, that we're doing this thing together, that we're on mission together. And so when you pray for our Kids Quest ministry or the mentors in Kids Quest, you're acknowledging we're in a partnership together. When someone is, is at even the hall monitor and embraces for parents as they come in, and you actually notice that person and say, I'm going to pray for those hall monitors because I pray that God would use them in such a significant way to be the first glimpse of God's grace when, people, when, when someone brings their kids to Kids Quest. You know what's happening? There's a partnership going on. We're, we're being the church together. So Paul's request for prayer, he believes there's this partnership that we're working together for the gospel. And here's why, because this underlying theme in the New Testament, which we'll have to re-explore one day as a church, is spiritual gifts. That we all have different spiritual gifts, that God gives us different gifts um, you know, to serve in his, in his mission and, and in the body of Christ. And so the Spirit gave Paul the gift of apostleship, likely the gift of evangelism, 
maybe even the gift of teaching, but apostleship and evangelism is high up there. Paul ministers within his gift. While all of us are called to be evangelistic and all of us are called to to grow in our readiness to respond to our friends and neighbors, all of us are called to be on mission together. But Paul, there's some that that, that are gifted evangelists where they, God uses them in extraordinary ways to, to share the gospel with people. And, and there's a partnership that goes on there because we all have different gifts. Some of us are better gifted to proclaim the gospel in public ways. Some of us are more gifted to share God's grace through hospitality and other ways. But we're partners. You know, I've walked into fr- with, with people from our church into a Starbucks or a coffee shop, and I will start talking to the cashier like in a second, And they always say, like, I would never do that. I could never do that. I can't talk like that. But we just have a different gift. And then this person has a way of serving people that I would be horrible at. And hopefully not horrible at serving people, but, you know, like 80% less better than that person. And so what do we do? We, We, our gifts work in tandem together. Paul recognizes this, that if we're going to see the gospel move forward, we need to partner together and recognize we're in a partnership together. See, Paul is leaning into his gift while he invites the church to pray for the effectiveness of his gift. That's this, that situation. But we all do this. Some gifted to mentor kids and lead, t- lead teams or help with logistics or nurture the heart of worship among us or teach us. But all of us have this part to play in this community we call the church when we use our gifts. And how much more effective would we be? How much more effective would you be in your neighborhood if I knew, if I I was praying for your witness in your neighborhood? How much more effective would we be in our different roles if we jumped in, one, to serve in some way, preferably with our gifts? How more effective would we be if we started to cheer each other on? Thank you, that's amazing. I love how you're serving in this way. And then if we started to pray for various ministries and groups, See, here's the main point. What Paul's getting at when he recognizes this partnership is that effective mission happens when Christ followers work together, partner together in mission, serving through their gifts, cheering each other on, supporting each other through prayer and and care, and resourcing the mission with our time and with our finances. We work together. But here's here's this one last piece. And it's really, it's, it's a good piece. And it's this piece... That's I call posture, and I, I, I use this word a lot. I know people tell me that there's certain words that I'm in love with, I guess, and I think posture is one of the words that I'm in love with. But, but it, is, it is really like in verse 5 and 6, Paul helps, equips this church and equips us in what, if we're going to be effective in, in seeing our world uh, transformed or being an impact in the world around us, he, he calls us towards our posture towards outsiders, when he, he doesn't use outsiders in a negative way. He just means those that are outside of, of this, this group called the church. And, and here's where, even if we don't have the evangelism gift, we're all called to be evangelists. Even if we don't have the giftedness of, you know, someone that might, might, God might just use and, and, and their articulation and how they share their faith might lead tens of people to Christ. And, and what we do might be a part of that, maybe in partnership or maybe in a different way. That's okay. This is where we, we might not have the specific evangelism gift, but we're all called to be evangelistic. Now, here's what, what Paul says in verse, verse 5 to 6. He says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. And let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This, at first, seems counterintuitive. In fact, he doesn't start out by saying, speak a lot. He doesn't start out by saying, 
you know, get the message out. He doesn't start off by saying, keep Christian tracts in your back pocket so when you go in public bathrooms, you leave them on the counter. Right? I thought that would be much more laughs. But anyways, that's okay. But, but you get what Paul, Paul's not, like his bent into this is not initially what we think it's supposed to be. He's not saying, speak your heart out every single time you open your mouth and you download the gospel to someone. Because Paul's saying there's something that is at work in the middle of that, maybe even behind that, that's important. He says our actions and our attitudes actually become a pathway for the gospel to be longed for and desired and used within God's mission, our posture. See, he says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. And that, in simplest way, is consider the people around us as we live. Not everybody in your circle at work it functions the same, right? And your work friends and the people you know in your neighborhood might be completely different. Be considerate of the people around us, their needs, their personality, their ethnicity, their background, their social status. Be wise in how you act towards outsiders. Wisdom is knowing how to act in any situation. Now, we've seen where that goes bad. I remember uh, one of my best friends, his best friend, uh, is always a joker. In fact, now he's actually a comedian in town. He's always a joker. Whenever they, whenever they go to the border, uh, so they drive up to the border, and my best friend would be driving, and his friend was sitting there. And you know at the border, you're just supposed to shut up and not say anything. Like, just kind of like, like pretend it's a passport picture time, right? Yes, I'm going to Boston, two days, coming back, thank you, check. No, but, but my friend's friend is like, oh, we're going to go have an awesome time in New York. Oh, what are you going to do there? I don't know. We might drink. Like, he just wanted to say stupid things. He wouldn't, he, he, he just thought, this is funny. Or on the way back, did you buy anything, uh, you know, at, at the, um, the duty-free shop? No, but I wanted to so bad. He would say something like that. I just, and so my friend would be like, shut up. Why do you say, you're going to get us, like, pulled over. They're going to check our car. And so he, this, <laughs> he wasn't wise in those moments, Right. And so we get it when it doesn't happen. But, and, so, and I've run into to moments when I remember like, ah, I, sh- I should have read that situation better. There was someone uh, who we know that, that um, I was talking to, and, they, and they, they're kind of on a, on a journey towards rediscovering faith. And they really hated to be in group, set- group sessions. Their bent was really anonymity. Anonymity. And... Um, and so I remember calling them after a couple of months, and Alpha was coming up in our church. And I already knew that they hated groups, and I think they even hated the invitation to groups. But I was so excited about Alpha, and I thought, God can do anything in the moment. And I'm talking to them, and really, I had called them just to see how they were, because my wife and I were going to get together with them for a lunch. And then in my excitement, in my passion, I said, hey, you know what? We're having Alpha in a couple of weeks. It's going to be great. It's just it's a group of people. I think I said the word group, and she just completely shut down. And she was so excited when I first called her. Oh, Dave, how are you? It's so awesome. It'd be so great to get together. And then I kind of like let out the Alpha thing at that moment. I'm like, what? why did I say that? I, re- I realized that she just completely shut down. And I wasn't wise in that moment being considerate of her. I ignored wisdom and went for passion. And you need a mix of both. Paul says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. 
Of course, there's bigger implications to that. There's bigger implications to what that meant in the first century as a marginalized people, an oppressed people, a people that the government often was even against. Be wise. Um, He says, let your conversation be full of grace. That your general posture towards people would be graceful. That that we'd learn empathy and and express mercy in how we speak to people. It's so vital. Paul says that even before you get to answering somebody's question about your faith, be wise in your interactions with them, be graceful in your conversations with them. And then he says, and season it with salt. And I love that. That's so good. I think so many of us need to just, uh, just take that little phrase and figure out how to apply it to our lives. Be seasoned with salt. And I know that in a way, maybe Paul's saying, make the conversation interesting. I'm not sure. But I think sometimes he's, I think he's telling us, like, as Christians, don't be a bore. Like, don't be boring people. See, your li- let your life be seasoned with salt. I think too often we think being a Christian is being nice overly nice or being quiet or being a party pooper. And, and, I was think, and I think, like, why not be the people who throw the best parties and the best hosts and the best conversationalists? And it doesn't mean you have to be loud or you have to be an extrovert or if you're an introvert or you have to be loud if, if you're quiet. It, that's not what Paul is getting at. But there's this sense of, like, in our own way, we need, I, I hope that me and us can learn how to channel God's love and life into our lives so people can see the beauty, the, the saltiness of what it means to know God and, and what he longs for them. So my, the simplest way I say is let's be salty people. I don't know what that, take, I take that as, as you want. Let's be salty people. You know? and, and I think it's so important because all this, you know, wisdom with outsiders, conversation full of grace, um, seasoned with salt, you know, and, and the, you know, the prayer and the partnership, all this nurtures a life, and here's what Paul's getting at, that solicits questions from people. Paul doesn't say just speak first. What is he? He backs up. He's like, be wise. Be, you know, discern your conversations. Be salty. And then be ready to respond to people's questions. There's some, a path that gets us there. And he says, so that, everyone, so that you may answer everyone. And you're going to need wisdom to answer everyone. And you're going to need grace. And your life, in a sense, and I want to say it this way as, as we slowly come to a close. How can we live questionable lives? That people question our lives. I'll never forget when my dad passed away over a decade ago and I'm standing in the line at the funeral home and I'm meeting these people, some of them that I never met ever in my life, and they start coming by and they start telling me these stories about my dad. When, when, when I was younger, your dad helped me get into business and he encouraged me and he walked with me in this season of my life. When I was this age, your dad came to my town and he, he spent time with our family. When, you know, this happened, you know, man, and they would mention things like his help for them and his character and his his integrity, and person after person, business associate or people from his hometown, not all of them mentioned faith, but they all mentioned his impact on their lives. That was huge for me to hear. My dad used to, to edit this magazine called Evangel Voice, and um, he had a printer in, in, in Laval that, that um, did this, that printed it for him. And the printing company, they weren't Christians. Uh, no one, I think, was. The owners weren't. But you know what happened over time with constant interactions with my dad? 
the owner of the company started to ask questions. There was a questionable life behind the other, on the other side. And, the, and then this person started to ask questions. And you know, over, over time, those questions led to conversations. Those conversations led to a search. And that search led to a decision to follow Jesus. And, and the owner of that printing company and his family became Christ followers. And over the course of 15 or 20 years, they've served in a couple of churches, helping a couple of church plants. God even didn't just transform necessarily just their lives, but everything, even their finances, so they can be a blessing for God's kingdom. And it started with a questionable life. A friend of mine who's getting close to re- retirement now, he's, he's, he's one of those guys you just like, he's just a nutcase, but fun, but smart. And he does international business development in places like Europe and Saudi Arabia. And he's the kind of guy who his conversations are full of grace and seasoned with salt. And there's a, a sense of who he is. He's the kind of guy, like if you just put the picture, he's the kind of guy that, that will drive you around Rome in a golf cart. Like if, if you're in Rome with him, he will rent the golf cart and he's like, let's go. I'm going to take you around. Sit in the back seat. Let's have some fun. He was that kind of salty type of guy. And, 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 and when he came to faith, you know, 15 years ago, the Lord started to use him in incredible ways. And I remember one of the things he said to me, I'm like, how do you, you know, you're out in Saudi Arabia, you're in Europe. Like, how does that, how is your faith challenged? And how do people see that? And part of it is his conversations, the wisdom he's trying to approach with, the saltiness of his life. But one of the ways are his character. In those kind of business dealings, the companies often send a woman to a man's room to say, hey, you're in town. We're going to give you something good. And he, would, he was, he was the, one of the only guys who always refused the women. So that led to what? A questionable life. Why don't you? I don't understand. Why would you refuse this? Why do you respond in this way? Why would you not make this decision? Why would you not skimp here? And there was this questionable life that then led to the opportunity to respond with answers. Isn't that beautiful? And as we think about this combination that Paul is telling us here in Colossians 4, this combination of everything that Paul is is working together, this, this community that's so deeply passionate about God and they're growing in prayer, they're fervently praying, uh, just in general they're seeking the Lord, and then they're fervently praying for the proclamation of the gospel and, and clarity. They're partnering together, using their gifts together, being the church together, and then they're living questionable lives, lives that solicit questions ready to respond with gospel clarity. This is how the early church grew. The early church grew as people started asking questions. How is this possible? Why do they do that? Why would you sacrifice this? That the emperor would say, what is it with these Christians? We have to set up a system to counteract their goodness because they're making us look so bad. And they lived questionable lives as the church prayed and interceded for each other, for people like Paul, for teachers and evangelists as they proclaimed the gospel, and they served together, that welcomed and established people in faith, and they became lighthouses in their regions. Lighthouses in their regions. Isn't that amazing? That's what we want to see here. That's how we want to grow. And um, we're going to pause here and just wrap up in a moment of prayer. I just want to put a, a slide on the screen that reflects a little bit of our church Um, passion and and posture is we long think about what Paul said here 
We long to grow in our relationship with God upwards that we see transformation. Paul says, be devoted to prayer. We long to work together as a church community, to nurture one another, support one another, serve together. That's our inward posture. We are committed to being outward in mission, in impact. And even as Paul prayed, even at the end of this Colossian letter, what is he saying? Nurture the upward life. Nurture the inward life. Work together and pay attention to the outward life because all of this works together in God's mission for an impacting life. Let's stand and pray. Even as we just pause right now and pray, I don't want to just jump into a prayer without giving you just a brief moment. Um, maybe there's one of these directions. Maybe it's your prayer, your, your, your relationship with God. Maybe it's your connection to community. Maybe it's your outward posture. And the Lord's convicting you more about one of these things perhaps today. And I just want to give you a chance to respond to that, to respond to God, to, to bring that to the Lord. Maybe it's a moment of reflection and repentance. Maybe it's a moment of awareness and you're inviting the Lord to work at you in this. Maybe you have neglected or even refused one of these directions. Maybe it was only about mission and you didn't realize that partnership was part of this process. Maybe it was all about community and you didn't realize your relationship with God, the intimacy you grow with the Father is so vital. Just take a moment and reflect on that. If something comes to mind, just kind of park that and reflect on that this week. Think about it. And then in this moment, maybe just think about the people around you. The family, the friends, the neighborhood, the network, the work environment God has put you in. Maybe you've been wondering how. How how can I be an impact there? We're in this together. We can grow together in prayer partner together in support and prayer and our gifts and grow in our posture towards the world beyond us. If there's a name or a group that comes to mind, let's just bring them to the Lord right now. Heavenly Father, we, just, we welcome this, this call from Paul to the first church, this first church here. This call to be devoted to prayer, God, we admit it. We, we're, we'd love to be further along in our prayer journey. We'd love to be further, more passionate in our, what it means to be a praying church, God. God, help us, empower us. Help us to live into the conviction of what it means to be devoted in prayer. Even this week, God, as we're watchful and thankful, may we lean into these into being watchful and thankful, God. As, as we do that, God, just grow our awareness of what you're doing, all that you've done and are doing around us. Help that, Lord, to shape our prayers, our time with you, our relationship with you. God, give us a burden to pray for one another, to pray for moments of proclamation we have as a church or those around us, to pray for each other in the different gifts and roles we have. 
God, I pray that you would just help us to rest in you and discover the incredible freedom of what it means to have a posture towards the world around us that is shaped by wisdom and grace and seasoned with salt because we long to be people who not just um, push our message into someone's life, but Lord, may we see the opportunities that you're orchestrating by your Holy Spirit. We know that every person we lock eyes with needs to hear about you. But God, may we back up a bit and see what you're doing. Discern what you're up to. Discern how, how you're at work. And God, equip us and transform us and convict us so we can too, in our own way and how you've wired us, to live questionable lives that solicit questions and empower us and help us to be equipped as a church for a response. How all this works together, God, so, you, so the world around us will come to know the incredible goodness and good news that you want them to know and have. We pray this, Lord, in your name, and we ask for your incredible grace and power this week as we prepare for next week's launch. Go before us. Our action is nothing without your activity behind it. So we pray this and lean into it, and we, we say this with desperation, God. We say this with desperation, God. We do not want to make steps forward that your Holy Spirit is not at work behind. So God, may this actionable step next week and however you lead us in moving forward, God, we long for every step and every action to be empowered by your Holy Spirit. Be at work. We trust you with what that looks like and the results and how we respond further, God. In Jesus' name, amen.